This podcast is made possible by the generosity of listeners like you. Kindly consider a contribution through Patreon or PayPal. Links are in the details box. Patreon is a monthly subscription that you can cancel anytime. And PayPal is a one-time donation. Any amount is appreciated. And follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The handle, The Beirut Banyan. And you can find us on our YouTube channel with the same name. And you can start watching the episodes as they're released. Thank you for listening. And thank you for watching. I'm Rani Shatah. And this is The Beirut Banyan. Let me start by saying thank you for a few things. First, Friday night, and you're stuck with me. Second, Wi-Fi problems. Round two, I hope this works. <laughs> third, hopefully, hopefully. Third, you're a man of hope, optimism. I see it. I read it. Even through that resignation letter that we're going to discuss today and your tweets since I see that you you do have some room for hope, given the horrible situation everyone's going through right now in Lebanon. Uh, it's been a long time that I've seen a resignation letter uh, celebrated <laughs> to a degree. I think it, I, for many reasons, and I'm sure this resonates with you, at some point you have to resign to express your frustration, and you did just that. A very eloquent letter. And... I think despite it being a loss for Lebanon, it shows exactly how frustrating it is for people that have sincere efforts and are doing this pro bono, that want to see a better country. They, they have to show exactly where the problems are. And I think you've done just that. So there's a lot there. I'm keeping it a bit vague for Usually. now because I think there's going to be a lot of emotional talk. <laughs> so I'm keeping it kind of great. We'll dive in as much as you'd like. Uh, of course. First and foremost, may I ask you just your your immediate reaction to the last few days in particular? The hyperinflation that's become almost an hour-to-hour issue, I think for today it could be between six to 7,000, and that number just keeps playing. It's not, it may reach 8,000 next week. We don't know. It could go much worse. Just your own immediate reaction to what you're seeing, in particular <clears throat> the last few days, and that ongoing political dance, whether it's in Babda, whether it's parties boycotting Babda, I mean, all of the above. And, and I think the last few days have, have exposed a lot of what's wrong with the current malaise in Lebanon. It's just your immediate reaction. Well, first, Ronnie, thank you for, for hosting me. Uh, second, I may have a couple of drinks already, but I think... <laughs> I think we're still Thursday night and not Friday night. So, oh my God, you? yes. So I'm more sober than you are, although I drank already a couple of drinks. So, um, but it's <laughs> okay. No, you it's saw. Okay. Maybe it's <laughs> you. Maybe it's Friday. No, no, it's Friday in New York, but it's not. <laughs> I mean, I. <laughs> you know, I'm glad. I, this, this has never happened before, so thank you. You actually just reminded yeah. me that I have another day ahead of me before the weekend. Exactly. This is what exactly COVID-19 right. does to you. You well, forget. I guess too, too much confinement. Too so much every confinement. Day is the same. So back, back to uh, Thursday. I'll, uh, <laughs> back, 
back to Thursday. It's going to sound like a Groundhog Day, but yeah, anyway. Exactly. Uh, uh, listen. Uh, so first, I appreciate being on the show. And um, uh, look, we we um, the last few days have been uh, quite emotionally charged, actually. Um, the uh, the follow up or the support that I got. Uh, because of the res- resignation last Thursday, uh, actually I think it was Friday, but uh, Thursday night. Um, At this point, Thursday where, or Friday is the same thing. That's right. That's right. <laughs> was surprising to me, honestly. I didn't do it in that purpose. I didn't do this whole exercise that I got involved uh, in uh, since February. Um, I did it, you know, literally uh, as you said on a pro bono basis, but most mostly as a concerned citizen. The, the money is not the issue. It's yeah. the concern about the depth of the crisis. Uh, it's the concern about the fact that really solutions are... are there, there's not a lot of solutions out there to the, to the issue. And it's a, it's a solution, no matter how you slice it, dice it, that involves a lot of pain and for a long period of time and for lots of people. There's no magic wand. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's it's 30 years of partying, and we have a huge hangover as a result <laughs> of that. So, after 30 years of continuous partying, it's it's going to be painful to adjust. Um, so, when I was when I got involved in this, the idea was, can we find a path mm-hmm. that will provide the smoothest soft landing? possible right it may still be a hard landing it may still be a crash but can it be as smooth as possible uh this is unfortunately the choices that we have and after looking at the data talking to people and i know there are a lot of people that are unhappy with the solution that we come up we came up with uh we drafted for the first time a document i think the first time maybe in the recent history anyway of Lebanon. (laughs) in which we were honest with the people. And I think this is extremely important, where we said, this is the truth. This is the state of affairs of the financial sector. And these are the proposals that we think we can provide. The mere fact in Lebanon of announcing the truth, of saying this is how things are, and giving a diagnostic that is extremely honest, was a breath of fresh air, I think, although it was painful in its announcement. Now, um, the same thing happened, actually, with the resignation. With the resignation, I got support from people from all over the place, uh, and that was obviously not the intent. The intent was very simply, I believed in the solution, I believed in the document we've written, but then I realized as time went by, after the approval of that document by the Council of Ministers on a unanimous basis, that really there was no political support uh, uh, and there was no even parliamentary support for this. And that document was being shot at uh, on, from all directions. So I realized that the advice that I give yeah. is not being followed and that people wanted to go in a different direction, which was more political mm-hmm. uh, because of the intersection of a number of interests. Political interests, they don't want to do reforms. Banking interests, they don't want to lose their equity. 
and uh, uh, the central bank that basically doesn't want to show all the losses that have been diagnosed in the document. So at that point, I decided, I said, okay, you know what? Uh, I, I, I can't do that. There's no political will. I'm not a politician. I have zero aspiration for a public job. And here it is. I have other things to do. And as I tweeted um, a couple of days ago, I said I did not resign. I actually assumed responsibility. I assumed responsibility for the task that I have taken. And I think it is really, unfortunately, the political class at large that is resigning from its own responsibility that is leading the country out of this mess. That is so well said. And I, you know, I'm going to just pick your brain on, on whether or not the requirements are an existential issue for the regime. So let me, let me maybe phrase it better. In your, in your, in your letter, which I read several times, actually, because, I mean, it's, it says, it kind of, it outlines exactly what's needed and where, where, where the frustrations and obstacles are. There are five pillars, and I'll just go through them one by one. The first is deep structural reforms of the public sector, and you include electricity, customs, and judiciary. The second is fiscal reforms to create sustainable primary surpluses. Then you have overhaul of the monetary system, restructuring the sovereign debt to a sustainable level. And then complete restructuring of the banking sector. Five tasks. And when I read them, I think the end of the Lebanese regime. <laughs> That's right. And is that really where the problem is, that they're, they're, in a way they're on a lifeline? And this is the, maybe the one thing that can tip it over. Or not the one thing, that, but the set of policies that will tip it over. I, I think that's right. And I think there are different parties, uh, not political parties, but uh, uh, groups of people behind each one of those bullet points. So if you look at the first pillar, yes, uh, it's the government at large that wants to continue spending. If I remember well, I think it's the fiscal one. But it's the, the government that wants to keep spending and, and increase crony, cronyism in the in the country, and we are up against, you know, people that have vested interest in keeping things as they are. Yeah. Uh, the second one is the monetary overhaul, which is a mix a little bit because it's really not clear as to where the responsibility lies in the development of monetary policy. Uh, we have a law that is quite, I'm not going to say ancient, but for the lack of a better word, it's quite old. And and where, for example, it's not very clear who's responsible for setting up the new the the uh, foreign exchange, the exchange rate policy. Mm, mm. Uh, so over there, also, you know, there's a lot of things. We have a governance issue that are that are tremendous, even in the monetary uh, uh, circles. I mean, we have a central bank uh, that governor, not as a person, but the position. Um, that has responsibility over a number of uh, regulatory agencies which have different and sometimes opposing missions. Right. So, for yes. example, we have the Capital Market Authority that is supposed to protect the investor that is investing in a financial institution that is regulated by that same person. So it's, it's very strange. Uh, in 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 any other countries, uh, those will be will be different. The Banking Control Commission, same thing. Uh, the uh, Special Investigations Committee, 
uh, uh, same thing. So they all come back to the same person. And again, once again, I, I don't want people to think I'm, I'm anti-governor here, but it's to the position of the governor, not right, as the right. person of the governor. And that needs to change. Um, uh, uh, the third one was structural, I, I think, structural reforms. Of course we need structural reforms. I mean, and that, you can go on and on. I mean, there's, I think, a list of 133 uh, uh, items in the government report to say, look, you need to really, really think about uh, 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 the structural reforms. Uh, public procurement is an example. Nomination is another one. Um, electricity is one of them. I mean, there's so much stuff to be done uh, because so much stuff was not done. And obviously you can imagine what that there's a lot of groups that have no benefit in making any changes to that. But let me ask so you, I, just, let's, let's maybe look at it from a bigger picture, as, as far wide as we can, given how immediate everything is. Is it an issue simply of accountability, that no one wants to take responsibility for the situation we're in? And, and through that, should anyone begin to acknowledge where exactly the mistakes are, you'll see a domino effect. Because I'm wondering, you, you've outlined what's necessary. And, and I think many policy papers and many experts have kind of showed a way forward. And again, it's not a very, it's a small economy, small population, and an IMF negotiation happening. And here we are in late June 2020, and it seems like the frustrations don't go away. So where, if you can maybe... Without making it personal, and I like that you've actually, you've kind of said it to a degree, you said that this is the position that's the issue, not the person. But within that, where is responsibility? And if there is no responsibility, is there any possibility for reform? The answer is no, but it's not only about responsibility. I, the way I look at it is transparency, it's responsibility, and then it's accountability. And unless you have those three, nothing would work. So uh, let me give you an example. And let me, let me be extremely candid. How can you reform the financial sector when you have a parliament that basically has vested interest in the financial sector? So we're talking about people that own banks. We have, we're talking about people that are lawyers of banks. We're talking about people that are on the boards of banks. And yet, these guys, we want to believe that they're supposed to represent the people of Lebanon, and they want to reform the financial, the financial sector in which they have vested interest. It doesn't work. Well, at least, let's go with the Anglo-Saxon approach. Let's have an honest disclosure about all that. Let's right. disclose right. it. Let's say, you know, let someone come up and say, I own 5% of this bank or 7% of that bank. And yes, I'm going to propose a law that will reform the financial sector so that uh, uh, people take responsibility, that's my second phase, for, uh, uh, for the laws that they are proposing on the floor. I, I, I think it's extremely important. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then there is the problem of accountability. The, and the government... Uh, agencies, all of them. Uh, I think I think Lebanon is going to be a case study of a failure across the whole value chain. <laughs> it's not the responsibility of one person. 
I mean, you know, some some governmental agencies didn't do their job. Some monetary authorities didn't do their job. The parliament didn't do its job in terms of uh, 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 oversight. Uh, the ca- the cabinet didn't do its responsibility in terms of oversight. You know, I wrote a paper, maybe an article uh, a couple of months ago, where I said, actually, funnily enough, although all our laws are quite ancient when it comes to the financial sector, if you were to go back and say, let me put back myself back in the 19, early 1990s. Yes. Yeah. And, had I, and had I followed the laws mm-hmm. and the regulations as they are, would I be where I am today? And the answer is obviously no. You know, I'm glad you said that. Uh, I'm just going to interrupt on one thing. I, I, I'm an amateur. I'm naive on the subject. But I've been trying to catch up. Especially, I think, I think all Lebanese have been trying to catch up to various degrees. We've all become economists and, and political experts without the, without the know-how. But, but I, I interviewed Ishat Diwan twice. And he wrote a book about crony capitalism. Yeah, great guy. And he actually... He shows that, yeah, there is forms of it that existed way before the Civil War started. But the situation today right. is exponentially worse. And I, so are you, are you in a way saying that it doesn't matter? The laws are in a way, as long as you're not following the rules as they're set, you're going to end up in a situation like this. It doesn't matter who the players are at that stage. It's just that this is yeah. a, yeah. Well, well, you're subjecting yourself, right, to a system where there are no checks and balances, and as long as money is flowing in, and in good times, things will go well, right. and no one will, you know, will worry about anything. But you are putting yourself in a situation that is so fragile mm-hmm. that any external shock could push you off the balcony. It could put you off the off the edge, yeah. and actually. Lebanon has been on the edge and dancing on the edge for a long time. And we have been dodging bullets and going across a minefield over and over and over again. You know, we did it in 2005 uh, with the assassination of of, uh, Prime Minister Hariri. We have done it in 2006 with the 2006 Israeli war. We've done it. And then 2008, the global financial crisis happened, and it was a big party in Lebanon because suddenly <laughs> Lebanon was like where you need to put your money. But then, you know, that party lasted for a couple of years. Then we got the Syria problem. We got the refugee issues. Okay. And, and then, you know, slowly but surely, people started, as you said, being educated about the financial sector and realizing that there may be something wrong going on here. There may be something that is becoming way too large for us. We're getting a banking sector that is four times or four and a half times the size of the economy. What are we doing with all this money? You know, things in the Gulf were starting to deteriorate. Um, The Europe and America were going through a little bit of a recession. Money started not flowing as much as before into Lebanon. And suddenly that stuff is what put you you know, off the edge, and that this time we couldn't handle it. So, you know, you, as I say, you crawl to the hole, but then when you fall in the hole, you fall precipitously in the to, to deep, deep down. So, and that's exactly what happened in 2019. It just took, you know, obviously it's 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 uh, uh, it's not due to that, but it took the WhatsApp tax 
to just create a breakdown in the system because people had it all. I mean, it's just they couldn't keep on going with things like this. And we're seeing it back today. Uh, you mentioned earlier the exchange rate. We're above 7,000 today. You know, we were at you know, 2,000 three months ago, I mean, two months ago. So there is that much people can can take. Poverty is at 50%, according to the World Bank, and we have 25%, which means half of the 50, that are below the extreme poverty line. I mean, it, it's... And, and today we're starting to see that every day in the streets. The point, the reason I, I took that assignment or took that responsibility or whatever you want to call it, it was a challenge actually, <laughs> was actually because it's all about people. Let's forget about everything. Let's forget about banks. Let's forget about being able to travel. Let's forget about our luxuries. Let's forget about all this. It's all about people. You know, you have no idea the amount of people who are going to immigrate yeah. on the first day the airport opens up. This is the real crisis. Yeah. The real crisis is going to be the brain drain. The real crisis is going to be dealing with the poverty and how do you attenuate that. I have no idea. And the problem is the more you wait to find that solution, the more difficult and painful that solution is going to be. You know, And unfortunately... I don't think time is of the essence for the uh, the leaders of this country, and that's the problem. I'm glad you mentioned people, and I'm going to link your resignation, or your, in a way, your frustration <laughs> resignation letter, and I'm also going to link up a few tweets that you've posted in the last week, because I think they kind of, they challenge people to really focus in on certain things, and I'm just going to read one of them. It's from, uh, it's from June 21st, so it's just a week ago. The state equals the people. When the state is asked to bail out the financial system, this is equivalent to asking the people to bail out the financial system. And you follow up with that. Points of view can be negotiated. Numbers and facts cannot. They are not a point of view. Now, with that said, are, is there missing information? Meaning, meaning, and I know that this may be a delicate question. You say as much as you'd like you're previewed to two things. You know what the IMF is expecting, and you know what the Lebanese regime is willing to do, and it might not be that much, if, if maybe perhaps nothing at this stage. But let me just, let's assume that there is intent on both sides. They don't necessarily line up properly. Does the public have missing information? That, that oh, could be, of course. You know, I mean, that yes. could be from, from something basic. could be from the central bank. Yeah. It could be from anything. Yes. Just is there, and, and can you maybe help explain what it is that we're missing from the story? Sure. Remind me to go back, though, to the concept of the state are the people, uh, because I, I really want to say something about that. Yeah. Uh, so, but let me answer your question there directly. Um, there's a lot of information that's missing from the people. Actually, we keep on lying to the people. I mean, this is uh, this is not the, the this is not the Western Hemisphere. By we, you uh, mean the authorities at the moment? Well, yeah, of or, course, not yeah, me, but yeah, yeah. Uh, the the, the right. leaders of the country. Sure. You know, we yeah. try to, you know, we're Mediterranean. We we try to massage 
the message that needs to go to the people. Uh, uh, we don't tell them the truth because we're worried about that. They won't, you know, how are they going to react? Um, you know, if your grandfather is at the hospital, oh, don't tell him his illness because he would be pissed. He's at the hospital. It's okay. You can tell him. That's a great analogy. I'm glad you said that, Henri. So we are now the patient at the hospital and the doctors or even our relatives are unwilling to admit what's wrong. Correct. And, and uh, worse than that, the doctor, has diag- the doctor has diagnosed you with cancer, but you want him to tell you that you have a headache. And this is the problem. So uh, the, 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 and the, the government paper basically came up and said, you know what? You have cancer. And guess what? You have stage four cancer. Right. As, blunt, as bluntly as that. Other people are saying, oh, whoa, hold on a second. We can massage the number in such a way that really it's a half cancer and it's stage minus three, you know. It doesn't help. And it doesn't help especially, I mean, you're not negotiating a housing loan with your local bank. You're negotiating a global rescue plan package with a global institution, an international institution that, by the way, have seen the exams exactly. way before you yeah. did, and yeah. they know the numbers. Right. So what's the point of coming and arguing about this? Yeah. Hiding the losses under the, under the carpet is not going to help. Okay? Basically, it's going to say, maybe you want to continuously believe that you don't have cancer. Good for you, but then go and see another doctor, because I cannot take that responsibility. And that's exactly what the IMF will be doing if we continue denying the existence of the problem. What we can do with the IMF is really negotiate the key parameters and say, hmm, should we go for an aggressive chemotherapy today, i.e. recognizing all the losses and go deep into the system? Or can we do like, you know, something more moderate so that over time we cure it and I take some of the pain, you know, one one session at a time? These, of course, this is negotiable. But what is not negotiable is the, the diagnosis. And that's what I meant. Numbers are incontestable. So then, Facts are facts. But let me ask you then, if there's... I, this analogy has been used by several, at least several guests on the podcast. And I'm, if I'm not mistaken, it's actually... You, you mentioned this phrase in the letter where you say, kicking the can down the road. Now, I... Correct. Now, that's... Okay, so that, that is true. But what is the benefit of kicking the can at this stage? where there's nowhere really left to kick it. So in, in other words, does the regime, from your experience, see a way out? Do they have something in mind? And I don't necessarily mean a plan B or whatever. I think you even actually you point to that, that there is no plan B at this stage. There's just IMF there's, and there's no plan B. And you, you even say... According, according to me. Sure, no right, B, right. no plan Z. Exactly. So there's, no, there's really no alternative at this stage. Right. But what are they betting on from, from your side? If you were to kind of, because is there something in the mix that they're hoping will serve their immediate interests and that they can wait it out a little further? Or is this just suicide that they're, they realize the whole system is falling and they're, they're going to fall with it. I'm really curious. It's hope. Hope. It's hope. People don't want bad news. They want to hope for a better future. So even the regime, you think, is or the players involved are hoping? 
themselves? No, they're selling hope. They want to sell hope, but we know that they're not fixing things. Their job, their job is to fix things. Yeah. But the the people in general want hope. Hmm. You know, they keep on saying, hmm, here's, but, but he said the numbers are not as large, but he said there's another way of dealing with it. It's still cancer. Yeah. But, but he said, maybe it will go away. It, it won't go away. You know, it's here to stay. Yeah. So, People are attached to this hope factor. When you mourn someone, yeah. right? Uh, what is the mourning period? It's actually letting time set in so that you get adjusted to reality. You know what? Let that's me, what it is. Let, let me ask the question a different way because maybe I didn't. Uh, it's probably I didn't phrase it the way I meant exactly. Is that are there players within the regime? And I, you know what? Actually, let me take it back. Let me take it a step back. The IMF has its own criteria. And I think, I think, I say this as someone with little knowledge, I assume the balance sheet is what matters, that the numbers should add up. So that's, that's, a, that's the paramount sort of concern. You can't forge these figures. And within that story, you have competing interests in what's left of the Lebanese state, trying to get away with certain things maybe, or trying to buy time, whatever it is. But is there maneuvering there and i know this this is not necessarily an economic uh question maybe maybe it is purely political are they hoping that certain players within the regime will be thrown under the bus and that the imf will come to the rescue at some point but you'll see casualties in that sense where it becomes a political paradigm and i ask this because if there's anything i've learned with lebanese politics it's that decency honesty transparency, the things you you eloquently wrote about, the things that I think most Lebanese on the streets want, there's a big appetite for it, that is not synonymous with Lebanese politics. I know the other side, which is this cunning sort of short-term gain, a dance, if you will, That's and it's an old dance, it's a familiar dance, it's a dance that goes back even before the civil war. It's just become a very corrupt. Oh, yeah, sure. It's just a very ugly version of it right now. And then, of course, you have within that dance, if you will, you have certain parties that have more to lose, and certain parties yeah. that may be more vulnerable, or maybe more exposed. So I'm, I, I guess I'm asking: Are they betting on any of that? Is is that in the mix? At least when it comes to the decent efforts of people like you, and then you have a. A, a group of uh, ministers and and, and and just figures that can't figure out how to deal with this crisis? You know, uh, when it comes to vested interests, when it comes to business, when it comes to financial, I mean, we let's not kid ourselves. This is the only this is the only country in the world where there is corruption, but no corrupt people, where there is bankruptcy, but no one wants to pay the bill. I mean, it's just <laughs> weird, right? Uh, so, so basically, uh, uh, what happens is that when there are financial uh, uh, amounts or issues at stake, they all get in the same bus together, and they're all buddy-buddy with each other, and they all basically stand to protect their vested interest as opposed to the national interest. You know what I discovered 
during the, the last four months, five months, that actually public service is kind of interesting. And <laughs> it's very easy if you have only one hat on. Because right, right. then you're not conflicted. The moment you have more than one hat on, then it becomes extremely complex. And by this and you mean like certain banks may have certain political de- That's just a basic sort of criteria, right? Right. right. If, yeah. if, if you're a politician and you have to worry about this guy or that guy and you have to worry about anything, except, yeah. you know, what's in the interest of the country. I mean, if that's the only objective you have, it's such an easy job. Actually, much easier than being in the private sector. That's that I can assure you. <laughs> yeah. And um, and 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 it is amazing to see how complicated people make it because they have you know double agendas and triple agendas, and they have a lot of things to take into consideration. But the moment you have a single hat on, you realize that actually your best ally are the people. You are here to represent them. Right. You right. just need to tell them exactly the way it is you will realize that people are way more mature than what you think they are. People can make decisions. People understand challenges. And if they know that you're there and you're doing your best to try to change things, they are willing to take the pain. Now, actually, but, I'm going to interrupt you. I know that you mentioned you wanted to talk about the people and that, that sort of that, uh, that important component yes. in the story. And I'll maybe I'll, I'll kind of let's, – let's get there, but let me ask a, a question before – if there's an appetite, and if it's a very popular uh, appetite at the moment, there are enough Lebanese that want a better Lebanon right now. They've, they're not going away. They're on the streets. They're desperate. They're hungry. And before they all run away, if they can, or leave the airport, as you mentioned, this brain drain, they're still fighting with the energy that's left. And I, this is just a question about the relationship between power and people right now. Why aren't there any heroes standing up for the moment and sort of sticking their necks up and saying, I assume some responsibility? And, I, I, and that you mentioned earlier that they will all rush to the same bus and defend that. The, they'll, they'll, they'll defend the bus together. But within that bus, there has to be someone or some entity, something willing to stand up and say, I'm here to fight for Lebanon. And then it just, it hasn't happened. So I'm curious in the psychological relationship between the political class and the people today. Because it's just, it's, it's impossible to see that they will all sink together rather than one sort of willing to challenge or maybe a, a few willing to sort of say, if we want to survive, we need to survive. We can't literally drown together. Right. Well, look, when it comes to politics, I think the people are divided, right? Mm, Everyone mm. has a different vision of Lebanon. Mm. Every group has a different tolerance level to the other. There is a fear factor that's going on all the time. Yeah. The, I think I got an easier, a much easier task because <laughs> the economy is the same for everyone, right? Finance hits everyone the same, same way. Right. Um, money is the same issue for everyone. Everyone is fighting, you know, poverty here, whether you're a Sunni, Shiite, Christian, whatever. Doesn't you know, poverty is poverty. Yeah. Uh, uh, when you're hungry, you're hungry. The exchange and rate doesn't depend on your faith or your confession. That, that's ex- <laughs> ex- exactly. So, uh, and I think when it comes to the financial revival of the country, I think a lot of people are trying to do the right thing. Um, 
I really honestly wanted to take it, you know, to a totally different level in such a short period of time because the the stakes are so high, because um, uh, uh, because we, we can't waste one more day on that. Um, and I know, you know, I'm, I don't think I'd be revealing a, uh, an amazing secret here to say that both the prime minister and the president want me to be back. But I'm saying, sorry, I won't. Uh, are, are they I actually, are they trying to get you back? Is this like a... There's yes, been, they the, are. Yes, they are. But, but I'm sorry, I, my answer is... You know what I wrote? I meant it. Yeah. And and you know what? If you want to do something that is really good for Lebanon, and that's a message for everyone. And actually, I have a meeting with with both of them tomorrow. I will tell them, look, just do some of the things that you promised you were going to do, and then people will change behavior, and then maybe people like me will come back. Maybe we will try. And I'm not that important. I'm just a regular, you know, <laughs> citizen. I mean, let's not get ourselves, I mean, to, you know, if I were if I were to run for election, my, my wife would not vote for me. So, I mean, you know, uh, so let's let's not let's not get ourselves. That's only that's only one uh, vote. Right. I, I actually I would get only one vote and that would be. That's <laughs> maybe so, two, maybe uh, two. Maybe two. But uh, but the reality is, uh, look, uh, uh, and I want to come back to this, the, the, the state of the, are the people, but uh, is equivalent to the people because it's a concept that does not exist here. It may be an easy concept if you are French or uh, Spanish or American or Norwegian, where by definition you think the state, and I don't mean anyone in particular, but anyone working in civil service, yeah. Is representing you is doing there to do a job. You're paying taxes. You pay him, and that's her, his national job. When was the last time? I don't know if you grew up in Lebanon or if you lived in Lebanon long enough. Half half my life. Uh, half my life. I mean, yeah. yeah unfortunately, yeah. I've seen so, those. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. When when did you see a, a a person in Lebanon who said, you know, I see protection in the state, or I, you know. I have this great social program. I know this guy is going and working for me. It doesn't work like this, right? I mean, parliamentary election, there's a lot of, as you know, you know, they pay, they pay for the votes of the people. Um, in the executive, we go from one disappointment to another. Uh, responsibility is never really clear. There's no transparency whatsoever. I mean, look, I, I go back exactly also on my resignation. Why did I put it up on, online? Not to attract attention or anything, but I wanted to send a message. Look, transparency is important. I resign. People need to know why I resign. Because during those five months, paid or unpaid, contract or no contract, I was representing the people in a public job, in a public assignment. So they need to know. And unfortunately, I'll give you a very simple example. Cabinet meetings. Mm-hmm. Why, why don't we know what's published? What, what, what is on the agenda? Why isn't it published every day and saying, okay, today there's going to be a cabinet and this is the agenda of items. And by the way, these are the decisions that came out. I mean, why not? I mean, what's so weird about it? Let me, let me ask you, and I'm going to quote you to you here. So I'm going to take advantage of your words and maybe we, we can 
play with them as you see fit. It's a, it's a thread. It's a, it's a series of tweets. Let me start. It's from June 23rd, so several days ago, two, two days ago. Managing losses in a financial system requires political skills, leadership abilities, and communication acumen. Most importantly, it requires honest communication to the people and transparency that is not associated with the Lebanese political class. Now, I'm going to start from there. And let's keep this question hanging. Is there any chance of reform with the current political class? No. Okay, so let's keep that question hanging because it's a, it's a nice thread. That has proven over and over again their unwillingness to reform. They know how to divvy up profits but not how to manage losses. A few more statements. Cleanse them from the financial system and build a vibrant, restructured financial system. I assume this is the fourth glass of wine at this point. <laughs> Arguing about losses is just a waste of time and plainly wrong. What needs to be negotiated with the IMF are the key parameters around the macro framework, preconditions, and most importantly, start the implementation of reforms. Yesterday before today and today before tomorrow. That's just two days ago. And I mean, talk about a series of, of deep frustration and it's almost like... Uh, you guys need to wake up now. So I'll go back to that question. If, and you said it without even thought, sort of you said it directly, that the answer is no. The current political class cannot do this. And if it's what's desperately needed are reforms. And there's an immediacy to the issue. And I think, I think everyone agrees to that, even when they're on perhaps the wrong side of history. They would acknowledge that there's an immediacy to the issue. All that combined, is it a better strategy to let the ship sink and wait for a political class that can restructure Lebanon to emerge? And that means pain. I mean, that means poverty. That means hyperinflation that we grow. It's a psychological thing at some point. You get used to it, and then your lira becomes worthless. Just like we witnessed in the worst times of recent memory, in 1980s Civil War Lebanon, a repetition of that. Or, or is there anything left to do in terms of trying to get some people within the regime to do what you're suggesting, which is take responsibility, transparency, accountability, the things that are the basic services of a state and its relationship to the people. So what, what is the way forward now? Because I like that you, 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 I mean, you said it yesterday before today and today before tomorrow, and we could say the same thing. I mean, today before July, July before, yeah, I mean, the ship keeps sinking. Look, I mean, there are definitely, I mean, we, let's not generalize and let's not be extreme. Uh, there are definitely good people in government. There's good people in parliament. There's good people everywhere. And there are people who really, you know, are want to do good for the country uh, that do not have a vested interest in anything else. They are honest civil servants, honest judges, uh, uh, honest uh, 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 director generals. I mean, you know, they, you, you have, of course, a lot of good people. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. The problem is this good effort, these good people are being kidnapped by the political class. When we say political class, that doesn't mean doesn't mean yeah, like 100% of the people that you see on TV, of course not. But 
the key guys who are making the decision, the key party that are making the decision, and the people around them. I mean, this is, I don't see a chance of, 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 this, um, uh, of this changing anytime soon, unless, as you, said, as you suggested, maybe the only answer is going to be, well, you know what? Let the ship sink. Mm. And actually, funnily enough, I was giving a presentation to a number of ambassadors from European countries, European donor countries, and actually North American also. And one lady ambassador asked me a question, and she said, do you think with our humanitarian aid, by continuing to give humanitarian aid, we are helping this political class to keep its control over the people? Mm -hmm. And if so, should we stop, mm -hmm. knowing very well that this will impose a lot of pain? Mm -hmm. And honestly, I cannot answer that question. It's very painful. But basically, people are realizing that, you know what? Maybe actually, after all, the cost of changing will have to come only through an amazing amount of pain. And as usual, pain is always more at the bottom end of the society than at the top end of the society, socially speaking. I mean, you know, financially speaking. Um, and it's, it's very difficult to say, yes, you know what, let them starve. Right. I mean, it's 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 a crazy policy. But um, we were in the same situation. I'm part of a group called, called Kuluna Irada. Yes. Right. Um, and and, um, you know, in December, they're big fans of your tweets. That's kind of how I discovered you were yes, on Twitter. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, that's him. Yes. I follow, yes. follow. <laughs> in, in December 2019, the international support group uh which is made of the most the donor countries uh, mm -hmm. that like Lebanon, were meeting in and we were meeting in uh, in Paris and we wrote a, we took a one page in Le Monde and we say please don't give any cent to Lebanon until they do reform. When was this? Was not that long ago, right? It was, it was that was in December. The, if I yeah. recall the date correctly, it was December 10 or December 12, so it was at the 2019. When there was still a lot of hope at that point, at least, in terms of political We We were in between governments, right, uh, right. Yes. you know, yeah. and we were hoping that something was going to happen. Yes. Uh, the revolution had died down a little bit, waiting, you know, right. to see what... what, what Pre-COVID, it seems like a distant era now. That, yeah. yeah, it seems like yeah. it's an old, a long time ago. And... And really, what what we uh, 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 what we said was, I mean, maybe in another country or even in Lebanon, you will consider it's a bit of a treason. You know, you're telling people don't help your country. You know, uh, but you get into those situations where, uh, uh, which is very difficult. But the reality is, we don't want another lifeline. You know, if you want to help someone uh, 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 to. Uh, Learn him how to do a job. Teach him how to do a job. You know, don't get, don't do stuff for him. You know, teach him. Uh, and and this is exactly the same thing. We don't want anymore this mendicity, which is going from one country to the other and saying, "Help us because we screwed up." They say, "Okay, here's some money. 
but go and do do be good from now on. And then a few years later, we go back and say, I've F up, okay? So help me out. We, we kept on doing it until we got to SEG. And in SEG, they said, go and do reforms. And then we'll give you as much money as you want. I mean, right. $11 billion is a lot of money by all standards. Of course, yeah. And, and we did nothing. For two years and three months today, we've done nothing. And, I mean, I'm sorry, that's not responsible. Okay, you know what? I, I want to push on this. And I know I've already taken too much of your time. I just want to get into two more points. Um, sorry. There, and let, let's actually, let's start. I love your tweets. I'm going to keep referencing them. So let's go with uh, the final tweet that I wanted to get into. And it echoes what we just said. It's from two days ago as well, June 23rd. Message to the Lebanese political class. Undertake reform and finalize an IMF program. Otherwise, Lebanese citizens will hold you responsible and accountable for taking Lebanon to hell. You are using precious time as we are living on borrowed time. Enough masquerades. So let me, let me maybe I can challenge you on, on, on how you see things moving. This is hypothetical, but I think so much pain is mixed into the moment that maybe Maybe there is sort of a, a view here that it's, it's perhaps 2020 vision. It might be depressing, but let's, let's get into it. Taking Lebanon to hell. Does that mean in your, in your life as a Lebanese citizen, knowing the Lebanon that went to hell, does that mean violence? Does that mean chaos? And does that mean civil unrest like we saw in the 1980s? Or is it a different type of hell? where it's more like starvation, famine, uh, things that were unthinkable even during the Civil War. You know, I, I see uh, pictures of and posts of, of schools closing, of education under threat. Even, I mean, and I'm, I, this is a bit biased, but even AUB stayed open during the Civil War. I mean, managed to find a way with different campuses. It stayed open. It was attacked. It was bombed. It stayed open. Now we have conversations about the future of AUB. So this is, I guess, what do you mean exactly by hell? And then there's other things I want to get into. But but that word, what is that to you? I think I should have said deeper into hell. But oh, because I think we're, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. But I think I think we we are already living in hell today. Uh, but uh, uh, I think. The, the you mentioned two groups of, of activity that would describe hell, which is economic injustice, uh, social injustice, uh, famine, poverty, whatever you want to call it, on one side. And then you, you mentioned security uh, threats yes. or, or, or security uh, uh, issues and, and war or whatever at, the, at one extreme. I think definitely the former... Um, is already here, yeah. and it will be more painful every day. Right. I mean, it's it's already painful for a lot of people, um, and and it's increasing by the day. And literally, you know, I'm starting to feel it myself personally. You know, um, when you look at the pipeline in your business, you see the pipeline drying up. Yeah. You start the first thing you do is saying, "Okay, you know what? I'm going to stop." my salary, and in order to protect my employees. Yeah. And it goes that, and it goes that far. I mean, you know, after right. three months, four months, you just say, you know what? Sorry, I can't. 
And we've been, when I, when I say we're living on board time, we have been. I've been not taking, you know, a draw or whatever for a long period of time, and it's painful. Um, can it, I mean, you're in Lebanon after all, you're surrounded by regional conflict, you're surrounded by uh, uh, whether we like it or not, former warlords in the country. Um, it can erupt at any time. You you don't know how close we get to a another yet major conflict. Yeah. Uh, any any day. I mean, it's it's uh, the risk is there. The risk is huge. I think people are mature enough because they have seen the war not too long ago. Um, I don't think people are ready to go through another major conflict, but that doesn't mean you don't go through security right, uh, right. Uh, bumps here and there. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, uh, But I think, honestly, uh, a poverty of 50%, that's a war, and we should declare war on poverty. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I know it's a depressing projection, but I think, I'm, I'm glad you actually said it deeper into help. Because it does feel like a form of help. I, I only left in January, so I saw the. It's it's two things, euphoria, and then it's dismay, and they're they're at equal levels, but then over time, dismay usually wins, at least in the Lebanon that I know. There's that moment of hope that's sort of drowned away by despair, and I think that's the era yeah. we're going through right now. I, I want to get one more point into that tweet, though, and this is your own experience. You you eloquently described that two two things really that there's degrees of mediocrity. Say that carefully. Uh, there's corruption. There's there's mismanagement. There's crony capitalism, whatever you want to call it. All the things that make a state dysfunctional, and within that mix, uh, mix you have some decent people trying. Of course. And, I mean, I, even during the darkest chapters of modern Lebanese history, you always had decent people trying. They don't always yes. succeed. Rarely do they succeed. But they try, nonetheless. Is there a particular obstacle that you see uh, unfixable? Meaning that, would you be able to focus in on one issue saying that this is the primary challenge? for putting Lebanon in a better place. So, and I mean that in all aspects. It could be politics, it could be, it could be economics and politics mixed, it could be security, it could be anything. Do you see a bulk of responsibility in, in one area? Or is it so mixed and so layered? Only one. Only one. Where is it? Religion. The role of religion in the society that is at the root of all problems. We need a civil society. Without a civil society and without a reform, reforming the the way people think to, towards a civil society, we will never win. Why? What is this whole corruption about? It's all about taking care of your people, the one in your community, fearing the other guy in the other community who's doing exactly the mirror image of what you're doing, okay? Do I care, really, that the governor of the central bank is Christian 
Ooh. or Muslim or Druze or alien. I mean, why do I care? I think I would care, actually, if an alien yes. sort of yeah, landed on Masaf Lebanon and said, ah, that's... <laughs> <laughs> Here, here, here am I. Would have some you hope. Know, <laughs> why would I care? Would I care if the prime minister or the speaker of the house or the president is from this or that religion? I don't want to care. You know, I want the right person to be there and to do the right thing. Um, how far are we from that? Because let's not forget, you know, there will never be economic reforms without political reform. I mean, the whole question is political to start with. And it ends in politics. So it starts with politics, ends in politics. And in between, there are all those technical solutions where we try to play. But we try to play within the parameters of a political landscape. But then let me ask that you. That political so, landscape yeah. is defined by religion. But Henri, let me, let, let, let me, let's do a bit of mental gymnastics. Why were the 1960s so different than today? And I, I, I ask this I, it's, that sounds naive in a way, and it's almost maybe innocent to ask this, but I, I fundamentally mean it. Same form of governance, it was maybe a bit, sort of, it was a slightly Christian-dominated system, but it's still the same, still the same way of governing, other than ratio equations and maybe some symbolism in Babda. It's the same way of governing. What is different about the pre-Civil War era that we all celebrate and look back on, even if we never lived in it? And that's nothing. I, I only know it through stories and, and imagery and the occasional video you see pop up online. Yeah. What, what is the I mean, fundamental? This, this is nostalgia, right? So, yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, I mean, in but, terms of in terms of but, what we're going through in 2020 versus what we went through in the better years. Because religion and governance and sectarianism and confessionalism all the things that I don't like as well in any state. I don't want to be managed by a, by a system like Lebanon. I don't think it actually serves the moment one bit. But with that said, what is different, really? Well, I think fundamentally nothing has changed. Uh, the economy was much better before. Uh, but if you look at different points in time during that period, you see that there were conflicts. You see that Lebanon, in fact, was never a state. It was, you know, there are mercantilism, basically, uh, a bunch of mercantile people put together and they created something called a country. That's what we have in Lebanon. That's what we've always had. <laughs> and and we go and we go through those through those cycles. Um, uh, there, there was there's uh, 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 those. There was always those constraints or those uh, uh, fear from one group to the other. Uh, and, of course, people go from time to time where they, uh, I mean, let's not forget that there has been conflict between Christian and Jews, for example. Uh, every 200 years, there's a major massacre that goes on. And then in between that, people kind of rest and and uh, think about, you know, what's going to happen 200 years from now. So at least in, uh, your, in your assessment, there's a direct line, or maybe a, let's say, not a direct, there's a, there's a healthy relationship between the system that we live in and conflict, that they feed off each other. That, that in other words... Yes. The, okay, so, so then can I ask you, given that Lebanon is in such a messy part of the world, and we have a small economy that is impacted by a neighbor's war. I mean, clearly, I had a conversation with Mike Azar 
uh, maybe last week actually. And he, he sort of drew the line. He said, you can kind of sort of put it at 2011, saying where the recent sort of uh, demise, let's say, began. And that's with the Syrian war next door. We can't, Sorry. so that Lebanon is stuck in a very messy part of the world. Its economy is impacted. Is, is there, short of an earthquake setting Lebanon in the direction of Malta, what, what can Lebanon do? And it's a big question. I know that. It's a sort of very broad question. What can Lebanon do so that the population doesn't have to suffer whenever there's regional conflict? And, and at the same time, ensure that if we're stuck with this type of governance, at least it's held to account. And maybe one day, maybe one day we can actually have a new social pact where the civil state that you're describing is possible. Because I, I, I've only known a Lebanon that's dysfunctional. Even during the best of times, I've only known it as, as just dysfunctional. I'm, I'm hitting 40, so I know the Civil War and post-Civil War era only. And, that, uh, yes. and the 1990s were not great, but they were a bit better, but they were not great. So what, what is really the hope at the end of the day for this country? Since you like uh, reading my tweets, go to my profile. <laughs> go to my profile. I don't know if you have it in front of it's you. It's on the bio. That's exactly right. So that's it. That you really know, is it at the end of the day. It's the, I, I think that's the solution. I think yeah. it says, you know, for a, a, civil, a, a civil state, for separation of state and church, yeah. for equal opportunity, for uh, 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 free education, uh, for free health care. Um, and I think there are some basic tenets that, you know, we all learn by, you know, through our growing up in Lebanon, yeah. as much as that we got to love in the Western Hemisphere mm-hmm. when we go there, which are fundamental values that do not seem to be respected here, yeah. uh, that do not seem to be on as top of mind for people. Um you know, people are worried about what? People are worried about their retirements. People people are worried about their health care. People are worried about education. Give them all that. And these, these are basic tools to survive. If you are in New York and you're okay, it's because you were given that education, that health care, because you were given that opportunity. And after that, you fight for yourself. I mean, no one is going to be here, you know, holding your wings all the time. Um, we, I don't think the state... The concept of the state in Lebanon gives priority to those basic rights of an individual. Right. Uh, and if we were, and, and, and unfortunately, we have, I, I go back to the fact that of not being a, a secular state, uh, i.e. religion, um, makes it way more complicated. I mean, we have people in this part of the world, not in Lebanon, thank God, still fighting because of issues that were that are 2,000 years old, right? I mean, at some point, this madness needs to stop. At some point, it shouldn't matter what, for me in Lebanon, what's the color of your skin, what's your religion, okay, what's your sexual orientation. These are important because they define the relationship between people. It defines the relationship between what you want from a state Okay, uh, what you want from your elected leaders and the environment in which you want to live. It defines the freedom 
It defines the space in which you are living, and it defines the direction in which you want to go. You know, you, putting values are yeah. very important. But can I ask you, in, in, do you think that that's the existential question right now, where you have the regime unwilling to reform or even reconsider its its form of its its relationship to the people, and an IMF package will never really be able to do that anyway. The IMF will not tell the Lebanese no regime how to govern itself at the end of the That's day. That's right. Yeah. No, you're right. But I think because we are going to go through lots of pain, mm-hmm. I think that pain should be channeled towards building the country we want to build. Yeah. So if you want to build a country where a future or a society where you really want to have uh, unequal income distribution, go and do whatever you want, hit the poor, let them suffer for 10, 15 years. Right. You know, I mean, there are ways of getting out of this crisis without doing anything. I can still drive my Porsche, smoke my cigar, and see lots of poverty around me. It happened in Venezuela, in Colombia, in a number of countries. We can do that. Or you can say, no, you know what? Now is the time to move away from an oligarchy, which is Lebanon, to a society that is more equal, where resources will come back to it, human resources, because they see equal opportunity. And you know what? Now it's my time, because I live in a nice environment, for me to pay my fair share, and maybe it's an unproportional share of the pain, so that I can get there two years from now. It's a... Look... The allocation of losses, and I meant it not to be facetious about it, but the allocation of losses is a national debate. It's not something that can be discussed behind four walls. And it needs a lot of people around the table and a lot of, unfortunately uh, or fortunately, intellectual discussions where you need to talk to different, to people from all walk of life to understand from, it's a multidisciplinary approach where you need to take everyone into account and come up and try to make the wrong, the, 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 not the wrong, the tough decision. Um, and, and that's not easy. But let me that's ask you, really Andre, not easy exercise. let's assume that that's the right, the, the path, a civil, a civil state that respects its citizens in a fundamentally different way than the Lebanon we know. Let's assume that's the path. The protest movement, do you see it as being able to achieve that noble goal of a new relationship? And is it just a matter of, what is it, elections at this point? I mean, is it, because, okay, you're, you're describing a situation where the IMF is stuck with a, 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 a very, very strange basket of individuals and parties and whatever, entities that can't even agree on the number and maybe don't want to agree on the number. But then ideally you'd have an IMF that can reach out to adequate sort of entities or individuals that they can sort of move things forward, especially during a crisis and a serious crisis. Is it a matter of just getting into politics and turning this into a political party? Because I'm really curious. They have sincere efforts on the street. You have sincere efforts in academia, think tanks. You have, you have sincere efforts in you. You're doing this for your, for the, because you love Lebanon. No one pushed you into this. And, and all that sincerity, and you still have the same situation. So what, what is actually the, what, if you 
think of it as sort of like a, a recipe, coming up with a plate that tastes better than the plate we're served. What are the ingredients? I, I, I actually don't know what they are. I mean, I, I it's hard for me to see a political party emerging from the protest movement at this stage. It's also hard for me to see the regime breaking in a way that is fundamental, maybe, to ushering in change. So, I mean, and it's a very existential question. I think it actually maybe exposes what is a revolution actually in Lebanon? Well, the only answer I have to that, because it's a very tough question. I mean, the real, the, the honest answer is, who knows, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, but, <laughs> That's a good answer. But, 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 but one thing is, is clear, is that through evolution, the system will not evolve. What is needed is not evolution, but definitely revolution. Yeah. This system cannot be fixed. It's an old car. It's a car that where you don't have any more spare parts. You need to throw it out yeah. and need to get a new one. That's it. Basta. How do you get there is an interesting question. Right. Okay. Do you get it through people in the streets with the threats, with the, with, with the risk of having blood and maybe security yeah. uh, uh, events to take responsibility for that? Don't know. Or do you do it through a basically uh, a Gandhi type of revolution where you just sit down and you know go on on hunger strikes for a long period of time. I don't know what works, really. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but but I know that evolution doesn't work. I know revolution would work. I don't know how to express that revolution so that it gets you where we want to be. It's well said. Well said. I I, I want to wrap it up with just a personal story. And it's something you shared okay. in private, but we didn't get into it. Just sort of a, it was a brief exchange. And you mentioned you sat next to my father on a flight from London, if I'm not mistaken? Yes, once, once. Uh, I don't remember which year it was, but uh, yes, I did. And I, I'm just curious, because these things matter to me. Do you, do you remember anything in the conversation, at least when it comes to uh, yeah. Lebanon and, and, what, and what we're experiencing yes. right now? He had written an op-ed piece talking about, you know, um, regional conflicts mm-hmm. and talking about how to, um, uh, 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 and really talking about uh, uh, the direction for for the country. And we got into a very interesting uh, debate uh, about, you know, uh, the pros and cons of, of always accusing this group or the other group. Mm-hmm. And... You know, what I, um, I mean, that was the one and only conversation I had with him. And I shared with him the fact that actually I went to Colombia and therefore I was more or less in the same class as Basil Flehan. Right. And he was a friend. Um, and we, uh, so we chatted about this a little bit. And then I said, look, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, what really marked me from this, uh, and as you can see from my from my profile, maybe on Twitter, is that it's all about tolerance. And he was a real example of tolerance. And that's uh, and, and 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 that really is not something that you find a lot in Lebanon, because um, as you get through conversation with leaders and with politicians, what you realize is that um, the, the there is a there is a superficial uh, uh, veneer yeah. of tolerance, but 
when you go deep, you see that it's just a veneer. Right. And actually, with him, it was really, uh, it, he was really convinced of that. And the fact that that the only way to live together in this country was through tolerance. And it was, uh, it was, it really marked me at that. So when, I don't know who told me because we were looking at your tweets and, and, uh, uh, and, and someone told me, well, I think it's, his last name is Shada. I think he is the son of, of Ahmad Shada. I said, okay, great. Let me, let me ask him actually. And that's, <laughs> that's why I asked you on the, uh, when we were talking to set up this, uh, this podcast. No, but I, I appreciate you sharing these, these moments. Cause I, I mean, I only hear them through other people, these private conversations. And they, they remind me of the conversations I used to have with him about, about all things Lebanon. He used to always uh, quote a Time magazine piece, maybe from the 1970s. It was uh, maybe before the Civil War, actually. It's that kind of expression, the thin, thin veneer of civilization, meaning mm -hmm. you scratch the surface just a bit and you see all things that are wrong in the country. But right. I'll, I'll just say, and I, and I hope you permit me expressing this, uh, I, I think the country depends on people like you. Now, I know that you're not in a position of, I know you're not a politician. And you just said, I mean, you said your wife wouldn't vote for you, which is, I think, a good thing. I mean, you can have some, you know, healthy debate at home. It may, it may hone your uh, political, po politicking, whatever. But, but I think the decent efforts of people like you, or you mentioned Basil Flehan. Uh, I mean, I, I will humbly include my father in that story as well. People that just wanted to serve Lebanon the best way they could without a sectarian bone in them, without a, without a militia-like bent, nothing like that. These are the people that either, in, in your recent experience, resign out of deep frustration, deep frustration. And they express why, and it's a very sad story. Or they get eliminated. And they get eliminated not that long ago, and this is recent history. So I, I always see that as sort of the, despite the valiant efforts, it's very difficult to see Lebanon moving forward. And even in that hopelessness, you still have people trying. And if anything, the solution is there. I mean, the, the, I think the power is in these people that keep trying. And, and you know what? I think, um, honestly, serving is the greatest privilege a citizen can have. And, uh, and we should all try to do that, no matter what the risks are. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I think the risks are well worth taking because at the end of the day, it's a question, you know, uh, where do we want to be and in which society do we want to live? I right. think these are extremely important questions um, away from, you know, business as usual. Yeah. Well said. I envy your book collection. If I ever meet you in person, I'd like to just, uh, you know, peruse what you've got up yeah. there. I'm assuming it's not so economics heavy. I'm sure it's a no, little, it's yeah, because I could kind of see a bit of the titles here and there. I'm like, no, no, that's not yes. finance. That's more interesting. No, no, it's not <laughs> yes. And as somebody who's just literally a few blocks away from Colombia, thanks for sharing that. I, it's, you know, it's still here if you ever need a, yes, another degree. It's just up the street. Yes. Hey, <laughs> Henri, great. thank Wonderful. you. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Ronnie. Thanks for listening. And a friendly reminder to help support this podcast by contributing through Patreon or PayPal. All links are in the details box below.
Until next time, I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan. <laughs>